Ladies and gentlemen, the Brit Pack is back. Simon Head from Rochester in the UK, Chamat Kosandu from Toronto in Canada, and it is a big week, ladies and gentlemen. UFC 271 is coming down the line. It is an epic middleweight title rematch. But before we launch into that and our quickfire recap of what happened at the weekend, Mr. Sandu, how are you doing, my friend? I'm well. I'm well, Simon. I think last week we were both fairly tired and pretty shattered from the the various travels we were we were on in different parts of the world. But this week, feeling refreshed, re-energized, and listen, it's a pay-per-view week, so you know there's plenty to chew on. There's plenty to talk about. I'm really excited about what we have coming up this weekend. In addition to, of course, recapping what happened this past weekend at UFC's fight night at the apex absolutely i didn't get any missiles fired at me this week so i'm feeling a little bit less stressed everything is good and uh, hopefully the only shots we see fired this week are inside the octagon and we had plenty this past weekend at the ufc apex sean strickland jack hermanson it was a decent performance from sean strickland but it didn't really wow the fans it certainly didn't impress sean strickland too much even though he won jack hermanson seemed pretty annoyed at how the fight went for him. But it was an important fight for the middleweight division and Sean Strickland has another win to his name. How does that... I think last week we said he has the chance to perhaps maybe even leapfrog his way to the front of the queue. How do you assess that performance? Because I'm not convinced he's done enough to earn himself a title shot just yet. Yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it, Si? Because middleweight is one of those divisions where you've got a dominant champion who's starting to now lap the competition and new challenger new challengers are few and far between and sean strickland is a potential brand new challenger for israel adesanya should he be successful of course this upcoming weekend against robert whittaker and strickland has done you know he's checked off a lot of the boxes right he's got this incredible win streak six fights in a row he's now won He's now started to pick off other opponents in that kind of top 10 uh, that are kind of like chomping at the bit to to break out into that top five. So he's kind of checked that box off as well. The only, and obviously now he's just headlined a fight night card in the Apex. Every time you headline a UFC card, that obviously means something. It means that the UFC is behind, you know, to promote you, help you get to that next level, help you become a contender for the championship. But there's a bit of a disconnect in terms of what he was kind of almost hyping up in terms of what he was going to bring to the table and what he was going to do to Jack Hermanson and what the final product was in the cage over the course of 25 minutes. Now, of course, he did the most important thing, which is get the win, didn't get a finish. And I felt like as we kind of got into those you know, later rounds, he was kind of on cruise control almost, where he was kind of just using the jab, kind of just picking off Jack, you know, as, as much as he wanted to. And yeah, I mean, it's a tricky one, Simon. If you're a fighter in this position, so close potentially to getting a title shot, do you risk it all in those final five or 10 minutes and try and get that finish? Or do you try and secure what is absolutely paramount and that's get the W? And, and that's what he chose to do. And only time will tell if that's enough for him to get a title shot or if he's going to have to get one more win against a a top five ranked opponent. That's it. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers head coach famously said, no risk it, no biscuit, Bruce Arians. And uh, he didn't really risk it for the biscuit this weekend. I think the biscuit being the title shot, don't think he's going to get it with that performance. He did give a lot of good copy 
and slightly questionable copy during during fight week. Some of the things he said were absolutely insane. Go back and watch the uh, the press conferences on YouTube. You'll see what we mean if you haven't checked it all out. But he gave the air of a cold-eyed killer who was just going to go in there and almost dismember his opponent in the octagon. What we actually saw was a very cool, calm, calculated striking performance, which, take it just on those merits, was a really good performance. But it wasn't the performance that earned you a title shot. I think after three rounds, it became very clear that he had Jack Hermanson's number. It became even more clear that Jack Hermanson had nothing for him. His game plan completely revolved around taking Strickland to the mat. He couldn't get it done after three rounds. The fight was basically Strickland's at that point. It was then that we really needed to see Strickland turn it up a gear, go after the finish in rounds four and five. And he didn't really. I think at the last 15, 20 seconds of the fight, he started loading up and shouting at, at Hermanson and trying to trying to sort of give give a little bit of entertainment. But that wasn't really enough to sort of earn him a title shot. I don't think good performance in terms of his technique. Hit and don't get hit. He did a great job of that. You know, if you take the pure boxing sort of approach to it, hit and don't get hit, he did very, very well. But that killer instinct that Dana White loves to see inside the octagon wasn't there. Um, he cruised to a decision win. He said it himself. He felt like he wasn't quite, wasn't quite there. So good performance, but not good enough for a title shot. What it means, Sandu, is that the fight that we will talk about a little bit later in the show between Derek Brunson and Jared Cannonier is pretty much a title eliminator at this point. So we will get onto that a bit later on in the show. But before we launch into 271, I just want to talk about another guy who we talked about on last week's show. He competed on Saturday night's card and undefeated Kazakhstan fighter Shavkat Rachmonov came into the fight 14-0, seven wins, seven submissions. He goes in there against Carsten Harris, relatively dangerous but unheralded opponent, and it was really a, a showcase opportunity for him. Can he go in there and do the business? He goes in and does the business. How impressed were you with Shavkat on Saturday night? I thought he was absolutely superb. Simon, I'm so giddy when we get a chance to talk about this guy because he is just so phenomenal. I mean, he's as good as a prospect as you're likely to get. And the fact that we have him on this journey at welterweight at the same time that we have Hamzat Shemaev doing his thing. And it's inter interesting because they're both dominant, right? They've won all their fights. They've finished all of their opponents. Now, Shavkat's got a few more fights under his belt compared to Hamza, but their UFC run is barely parallel. The The only other you know, you know uh, thing for Hamza being that he's moved around weight classes. But I think for the short term, I think he's going to stick to welterweight because I feel like that's the, the quickest path to a, a title opportunity at the moment. But my goodness, he done it again, Simon. 15 fights, 15 wins, 15 finishes. And, you know, I'll bring up the Hamza, you know, comparison. And the thing that Hamza has on Shavkat is this out there, you know, really interesting, strong personality. He's got a connection with the fan base. He's got a huge show, social media following. Like I'm doing my work for BT Sport on Saturday night, Simon. Shavkat Rachmanov doesn't even have a Twitter account. I mean, I don't know, you know, who's involved with his management team, but they need to fix that because I feel like the gas is going to start to get put on fire and this guy is going to start to get a lot more promotional you know, help from the UFC and they need to take advantage of that. He needs to almost 
use that as an opportunity to to pre- present his personality to present you know some form of story and narrative himself and and get some of the character that he's got inside him out there but man exciting to see him once again dominant against an opponent who's coming off i think five first round finishes or something crazy like that so yeah absolutely shavkat rachmanov is one to watch this year simon and man i feel like at some point down the road we're either going to see him you know on this collision course with hamza shemaev but regardless whether they do or don't fight i feel like hamza and, Sh- and rachmanov could be the two guys that long term could be running the show at welterweight and middleweight. That's how strongly I feel about Rachmanov. Yeah, his manager is Danny Rubenstein. Uh, Ruby, Ruby Sport and Entertainment. Danny will be all over this. Absolutely no doubt about it. He's got a superstar in the making. He'll have a whole country behind him. Rachmanov is a two-time amateur world champion. Before uh, IMAF got really big, there was IMAF and there was the World Mixed Martial Arts Association, the W. MMAA, and they merged a few years ago. He fought for the WMMA and won two amateur world titles and has since moved into the pros, gone undefeated, and he's doing the business. And it's not just the fact that he's winning, he's finishing everybody in sight. And he looks so... He looks so well-rounded. He's striking. He's so slick and crisp. His submissions are so slick. It's such an exciting time in the welterweight division. You've got him and Hamza. You mentioned Hamza's got all of the PR. He's got all the buzz. He's got all the all the uh, the column inches already. Shavkat has got the numbers on a piece of paper, and eventually they're both going to gravitate towards the top of that division. They're not far off now, so who knows? Maybe we will see him, Sandu. I mean, I'd like to think they'll keep them apart for at least a little bit, uh, rather than killing off one of the undefeated records too early because I don't think they need to just yet. But wow, what a performance from him! He'll need to move up in competition now. He needs a top 15 or top 10 opponent next, and I think that's what he'll get. But I just wanted to talk about him before we moved on because such an such an impressive performance and from a part of the world that is producing a load of amateur talent that is going to come through probably in the next three, four, five years, he's already through. And he's definitely, as you said, one to watch at 170 pounds. That was the UFC from the Apex this past weekend. But all roads lead to Houston, Texas on Saturday night. The Toyota Center plays host to UFC 271 and a big old rematch at 185 pounds. Champion Israel Adesanya, challenger, the former champ, Robert Whittaker. He lost his belt to Adesanya. Adesanya has never lost at 185 pounds. Whittaker's only loss at 185 pounds is against Adesanya. All the chips are in the middle. Will this look any different? to what we saw first time round when Stylebender knocked out Whitaker in the second round. They are the questions on the table, Sandu. Where do you where do you pick it up from here? Well, first of all, need to give props to Robert Whitaker. We've seen so many former champions get immediate rematches or almost kind of try and pile on the pressure through the media and on, onto the UFC to to get an immediate rematch or just get one win and right into a title fight again. Robert Whitaker has absolutely earned his rematch, a win over Darren Till, a win over Jared Cannonier, and a win over Kelvin Gastelum. Now, what do you take away from these performances, Simon? He's gone the distance in all of them. He's gone the full 25 in the Gastelum fight and the Till fight and the full 15 minutes against Cannonier. Now, 
I agreed into that, that this guy is now starting to perhaps be a little bit more strategic in terms of getting his wins. And I think that's how you have to approach Israel Adesanya. You know, even Jan Blahovic getting the win over him, he uses wrestling just to kind of keep him down and, and kind of win the fight on the scorecards. You go, you know, in a, in a, a firefight with Adesanya and it's only going to result in a loss. And that's what he did the last time around. It was a, a second round finish that he lost to Israel Adesanya. So that's an interesting observation on the, on the one side. At the same time, you look at, you look at the resume, and he is capable of finishing a fight. Of course, he is, and I'm sure he's got all the motivation in the world, especially with the the New Zealand Australia rivalry and the fact that you know he lost his belt to Adesanya, and he's getting that opportunity once again. This is going to be a big pay per view. Adesanya is one of the biggest stars in the UFC, so I feel like Robert Whitaker is going to have a lot of pressure on his shoulders because he's, yes, he's earned his opportunity. Uh, to get his rematch, but I don't think you know he's going to get too many more chances at 185 if he fails this weekend because I feel like Adesanya is going to then look for a new opposition and another opportunities perhaps going up to 205, and that brings me to Israel Adesanya Simon, who let's face it, at 185 pounds has looked absolutely phenomenal. He said that he dared to be great when he went up to 205. It didn't work out for him, but at 185 pounds, Simon. He's just completely flawless. Like, how do you pick against this guy? And it seems like he gets better and better every time he's out there. His ring or slash octagon IQ is completely off the charts. He's going to have a game plan in you know in mind with the great Eugene Barman and everybody else there at City Kickboxing helping him strategize. And the fact that he's going up against somebody that he's already finished, he knows he can get the better of him when they're both standing. So I feel like he's going to be rolling into fight week, just oozing confidence. And I feel like it will be another situation where Bruce Buffer will be announcing and still. It's such a tough one if you're Robert Whittaker, because I thought Whittaker's big downfall in the first fight, he was trying to knock out Israel Adesanya. He was throwing such big punches and over committing on some of his shots. And in the end, that's what, that's what gave the opening to Israel Adesanya to actually start, start teeing off and connecting on him. So what we're talking about here, Robert Whittaker needs to be more technical in his stand-up, but he's taken on the best technical striker in the UFC. And if you look at Whittaker's only two KO defeats, they came against Stephen Wonderboy Thompson and against Israel Adesanya, the two best technical strikers in the UFC, possibly in the sport of MMA. So what you're asking him to do is to step even further into the realm where Israel Adesanya is clearly at the absolute peak. So it's a really tough one for him. The other common uh, plan, I suppose, everybody's talking about is, oh, he's got to take him down. He's got to take him down. Well, you can't take a man down if you can't actually get hold of him. And we've seen Israel Adesanya has been incredibly difficult to take down. And even when he has gone to the mat via a takedown, he has had the ability to bounce straight back up and his defense while on the mat has been absolutely superb. So this notion of him being a one-dimensional elite striker with not much else is a complete fallacy. Taking him down is not the key to victory. It's going to be keeping him down. And I'm not convinced that Whitaker is even going to be able to get close enough to shoot enough takedowns in order to win the rounds because I can't see how he's... Unless he catches him with a lucky punch, I just don't see how he finishes Israel Adesanya. Adesanya, other than complacency... Israel Adesanya should be absolutely 
away and clear. And that is no disrespect to Robert Whitaker, who I think is the clear number two middleweight in the world. So I just think, as you say, Adesanya is on a complete level of his own. And after this fight, it would not be a surprise if he moved up to 205, maybe even permanently, and looked to just really go for that 205 belt and make a new home for himself, grow into his body a little bit more and fill out and not have to worry about cutting weight and all that sort of stuff. That's a definite possibility for him. Whitaker's up against it this weekend. I've got a load of respect for him. He's one of the toughest guys in that middleweight division. He's well-rounded. He's skillful. He's a former world champion. But everywhere you need him to be better, Adesanya is already away in the distance. So I find it a re- it's a really tough one for him. He's got a puncher's chance, but I don't see too far beyond that, which is... It sounds incredibly disrespectful to Whisker. It's not meant to be like that, but that's just how, you know, the measure of how good Israel Adesanya is. The question now, Sandu, will he finish him again? If we say Israel Adesanya is going to win, it looks as if we're both going to nail our colors to, uh, to that particular mast. Will he get it done inside the distance? And will he get it done faster than he did in the first fight? It was a second round finish in the first fight at UFC 243 down there in Melbourne. Uh, in October 2019. Will he trump that? Or do you think we'll see a little bit more of a technical performance and uh, having to fend him off for a little bit? I think the latter, if I'm being honest with you, Simon. Outside of that Whitaker finish, he he did finish Paulo Costa, but he went the distance against Joel Romero. He went the distance with Jan Blahovic, which obviously was a, a losing performance. And then his most recent outing was against Marvin Vittori in June of 2021. And he went the distance there as well. So as much as we've seen Robert Weirka go the full 25, we've also seen the same from Israel Adesanya as of late. And, and maybe that's you know a part of his maturation uh, as a mixed martial artist where you know maybe he needs to think about picking off his opponents rather than going for a wild, stylish finish, which perhaps his opponents are now prepared for in terms of waiting for him to pounce when they can take him down or something of that nature. But the fact that Whitaker and Adesanya have both been kind of going to the judges' scorecards as of late, I feel like that's where the trajectory of this fight is potentially going to be headed. Now, can Adesanya get the finish at any time? Absolutely. But I feel like he'll also be a lot wary. He knows that Whitaker is a smart fighter. He's a former UFC champion. He knows what this stage is all about. He's not just a contender. He knows what it means to be champion and to defend his championship belt as well. So, yeah, if you're asking me whether I think this is going to end in a finish or or, or if it's going to go to the scorecards, I think I'll go to the scorecards. Yeah, I'm going for like a late stoppage or a decision because I think that fast finish, a fast finish, second round finish was down in large part to Whitaker over over committing, pushing the pace a little too much, opening himself up. Whitaker has learned since then, and in, in all of his fights since then, he's been very controlled in his performance. He's been very compact in his style, and I expect we'll see that on Saturday night. Izzy might catch him late, particularly if he's already got rounds in the bank and Whitaker is in a kind of a, okay, I've got to go for it now kind of mode. Then the gaps might start to open up and we might see something late. But yeah, I... Don't I don't anticipate there being as fast a finish this time around. The other question, Sandu, before we move on to the co-main event. You're Israel Adesanya's manager for a second. Put yourself in his shoes. Let's say he goes and gets the win. And let's say he does it on the scorecards. What do you advise him to do next? Do you say you've cleared the deck at £185? 
Let's move up. Let's invest in 205. Think about relinquishing the belt and just going straight for the belt at 205. Or do you say, no, let's play both divisions. We've got bargaining power with the belt. How would you approach this moving forward? Well, I definitely would not advise him to relinquish the belt whatsoever because that's how he is going to get his pay-per-view points and headline pay-per-views and make the most money. And that's what this is all about. Why leave the championship belt at 185 pounds when you are so dominant? And if he wins again this weekend, bring him, bring him on, whether it's a Brunson rematch, whether it's a fresh matchup in Cannonier, whether it's a Sean Strickland. You know where you're going to pick against Izzy in any of those contests. So, and the fact that I think he's only got a couple of fights left on his contract anyway, it's like, why not continue to be dominant at middleweight and have the most bargaining power you can have when it comes to renegotiating a brand new contract with the UFC or who knows, let's see what happens. Does he test free agency like Francis Ngannou you know, is looking to do at the moment? So no, don't leave 185. And also let's see how things play out at 205. I feel like if someone like Jury Prohaska is the new champion at 205, that's a dangerous matchup, if you're asking me, uh, against Izzy, only because of how big Jury is. But if it's Glover Teixeira, who remains the champion after that particular contest, well then, that gets very interesting. And I think that would be a an opportunity to have a, a conversation with the UFC. Say, hey, listen, I've continued to defend my middleweight championship. I want to give 205 another go. I want to give uh, another give me another chance to become a champ champ, which is a, a very short and very... Um, select few fighters who've done that and achieved that status in the UFC. So that's how I would kind of play things out. But at middleweight, no, you you stay there, If you especially if you continue to be as dominant as you have been. It's honestly what I think John Jones should have done this entire time. It's like, okay, cool. You've got all these fights on your contract and you're butting heads with the UFC in terms of getting the kind of payday that you want to get. Why not just continue to fight at 205 where you are completely dominant even if you're having to lap the competition, which you already have done so, you know, in recent years, and just get through your contract at 205. That it just means that you can continue to cash in those checks, stay active. And he's just been out of the game for now a good couple of years. And we still don't know any any clarification on his future. He says he's training to become a heavyweight fighter one day, but you know, we'll see what happens there. But yeah, if I'm Izzy, I'm staying active, continue to be a middleweight. Uh, champion and defend his belt and and see how things can uh, perhaps level up for you on the contract side of the UFC. Yeah, that is absolutely the way to do it. Rack up those title defenses, get yourself in the record books. You look at the middleweight division though, Sandu, and there's not a hell of a lot out there for him. Arguably, and this is a slight stretch, but arguably the biggest box office fight for him at 185 pounds is Alex Pereira, who <laughs> who knocked him out in kickboxing, but has only recently joined the UFC, but looked very impressive on his debut. Obviously, it's very, very early, but that's a fight that the UFC could potentially get some promotional weight behind at some point, because I would imagine within six to nine months' time, Israel Adesanya may have run out of contenders at £185 among the established order in the middleweight division. So let's see how it all pans out. But I do imagine that he's going to be in a light heavyweight division by this time next year whether he's still double dipping and doing 185 at the same time, who knows? But the imminent contract situation is an interesting one. And Mm. uh, could you imagine Israel Adesanya deciding to test free agency? That would be a, that would be a mind blown scenario right there. One of the biggest stars in the UFC just turning around and saying, Nope, 
I'm gonna I'm gonna play the field as well, Dana. Let's see, let's see what's what. That would be fascinating. I mean, if we're speculating, Simon, like from what we know of Israel Adesanya, from all the you know conversations and interviews, and just having a, a general understanding of of his personality, doesn't he seem like the kind of guy that would want to test free agency, especially when you see how much money is out there from the likes of thrillers and boxing and and you know to kind of get what you know what your own and what you know what your worth is and i'm sure every fighter is feeling the same way right now i mean it's, it's a fascinating time in combat sports conor mcgregor two fights left on his contract nate diaz one one fight left on his contract this the next 12 months is going to be fascinating and yeah i can see a situation where adesanya is just like nope i'm going to just run through my current contract and we'll we'll have a conversation when that's uh, over and done with and he can test free agency and see what else is out there for him yeah, this is a guy who stood in the octagon next to Dana White and said, this guy misses weight. He needs to be fined 90% of his purse. So clearly he has very strong views on how things should be should be done. He's very clear in his own mind. He's carved his own niche since joining the UFC and he's been incredibly successful. Who would, who would blame him for testing free agency? But uh, we'll talk about his potential next opponent in a second, but let's talk about the co-main event, which could be a blink and you miss it affair. I don't want to go too heavy on how spectacular this might be because I've fallen into this trap with a Derek Lewis fight before against Francis Ngannou and a pair of them laid an egg. So let's just say this has potential to be an absolute barn burner for as long as it lasts. Derek Lewis, 21 knockouts in 26 wins, 13 in the UFC. That is a record, an all-time record. Tied to Ivasa, he's 13 and 3, Sandu. He's knocked out 12 of those 13 opponents. That's nuts. Six of them in the UFC. This can't go to the judges, can it? Surely, surely this cannot go to the judges. This is dynamite waiting to go off in the middle of the octagon on Saturday night. And I am completely here for it. I'm buzzing. Will it be fried chicken or shoeys afterwards? That's what we need to know. What do you reckon? Well, I don't know what the odds are for our first round finish, but I'll be putting a lot of money on that right now, Simon. Taito Yuvasa coming in with four knockouts in a row. He's completely turned his UFC career around. Derek Lewis, once again, fighting in front of his hometown of Houston, Texas. It's his birthday this week. I'm sure you know he's also looking to kind of put another run together uh, to become a champion. And this is fascinating for a plethora of reasons, only because the UFC heavyweight division right now, there's a lot going on, right? You've got Francis Ngannou. He's clearly now going to just run the course of the, of the remainder of this year. He's going to test free agency, it looks like. He's also injured, right? And, and he's going to have surgery on his knee. And so we've seen the UFC implement an interim title for far less. And I think now is going to be a situation where it's, I think it's inevitable that they're going to introduce an interim title. And of course, you know, I'd love to love for it to be a, a John Jones versus Stipe Miocic. You know, that's, I, I feel like the most ideal situation to bring John Jones back and in most people's opinion, I would, I would imagine him being a favorite against Stipe Miocic. And Miocic is probably the one fight I would probably favor John Jones at heavyweight, just given the size of Miocic. He's, a, he's, a, he's, he's, he's one on the smaller end of the other heavyweights. But everybody else, Derek Lewis, Taito Ivasa, you know, Cyril Gann, 
man, I think I think John Jones would have a tough time against a lot of these guys, just given you know the strength and the power and the size of these of these of these humans. And you know, it's not going to be easy for John Jones to take these guys down. And that's where I kind of come back to Lewis and Taito Ivasa because if, if if the UFC can't get a deal done with John Jones, Simon, and bring him back, does a winner of Lewis Taito Ivasa end up fighting Miocic at some point this summer to introduce a brand new interim champion? So I think low key, there are some pretty high stakes in this particular contest. It's bizarre to think that Taito Ivasa was like literally on on the verge of you know being cut, you know, three straight losses. And we could be looking at Tai Tuivasa in a potential interim title fight this year, which could then de facto become a UFC undisputed championship if things can't work out between the promotion and Francis Ngannou. So my God, I can't wait for this. Like you said, it's got first round finish, barn burner, fireworks, dynamite written all over it. And then when you throw in the the fact that this could lead to a potential you know, interim title fight for the winner at some point this year well, then you've got all the ingredients for an interesting fight, an interesting contest. Yeah, I have a theory about that heavyweight interim title fight. I think the Jones versus Miocic fight is the one they're trying to make. I think that is the fight they're going to try and make for International Fight Week. I think that will potentially be the main event with Amanda Nunes, Juliana Pena rematch as the co-main, assuming the timeline of tough fits. And I think it probably will. So I would imagine that's where they're kind of going. But yeah, if John Jones doesn't make it, or if Stipe Miocic doesn't make it, one of these two guys could very well find themselves in the mix. And yeah, this is this is just absolute insanity. It's it's going to be who find whose chin first. You know, it's absolutely nuts. Tuivasa has the speed advantage in this fight. If Tuivasa just comes out and goes for it, he has a chance of overwhelming Derek Lewis. But my goodness, don't let Derek Lewis plant his feet. Because if Derek Lewis plants his feet, then you're going to the shadow realm. You know, it's it's end, it's game over. He's he's stupendously powerful. I've watched a man hit mitts from about three feet away, and it is terrifying. It is genuinely terrifying. I went to a close training session of his uh, before the Ngannou fight, ironically, um, in in Vegas. Watched him hitting the mitts with the uh, crew, Bob Perez, and my. God, to see him hit the mitts that close is absolutely terrifying. But Tuivasa, his power's not far behind. It really isn't. And he's got that crucial thing that you need in MMA, or in any sport, but particularly in MMA, momentum. Four four wins, four knockouts. He's absolutely flying. So I'm picking Derek because I can't not pick Derek. You know, he's been at the highest level and has done it against higher level opponents. but. Do not sleep on Taito Ivasa because you'll be the one who ends up sleeping by the end of it. You know, Derek Lewis has got to respect that power. So it is not quite a coin flip, but this this is anybody's fight for sure. Taito Ivasa, you mentioned that he could, you know, there is a scenario whereby he could be in an interim title fight in the summer and beyond the summer, he could be holding championship gold that could potentially be undisputed gold. He's ranked 11 right now as we sit here in the UFC heavyweight division. The fact that he's fighting Derek Lewis is already a Willy Wonka style golden ticket moment for him. He's got a huge, huge opportunity. He knocks over Derek Lewis. He's right there. He's right there. And it'd be an incredible rise and a remarkable turnaround for a guy who, as you said, was on the verge of 
being released by the UFC. So incredible fight, incredible matchup. It's going to be one of those where you're probably not going to blink for the first 60 to 90 seconds of the first round because you just do not want to miss anything. And at that time in the morning, that might be a struggle um, over here, but it's going to be a great fight. I'm really looking forward to it. The other big fight, Sandu, we referred to it earlier, Derek Brunson, Jared Cannonier, 185 pounds. Cannonier ranked third at 185 pounds in the official UFC rankings. Brunson, aka Simon Phoenix, ranked fourth in the UFC 185 pound division. This is this is a real toss-up kind of fight. It's what do you prefer? Do you prefer the well-rounded skills of Cannonier, or do you prefer Brunson's sort of wrestling and heavy hands combination there? So I'm leaning towards Brunson. I've got to be honest. I'm leaning towards Brunson. He just seems to have found himself a really good run of form. I think that's five in a row for him right now. Cannoneer has only lost once at 185 pounds. It's incredible to think he fought at heavyweight at first and he gradually worked his way down and here he is as a legit middleweight contender. Mad, but I'm going to side with Brunson. I just think that he's got that momentum that I mentioned just a minute ago. He's got, I think he's got the advantage in punch power. And he just seems to be at that real sweet spot in his career right now. And this is a big opportunity for him. So, uh, And he comes from a gym that I've got a huge amount of respect for, Sanford MMA, which is one of the best gyms in the States that doesn't get the doesn't get the hype that it possibly deserves. So, yeah, give me Derek Brunson in this one. What do you reckon? I'm inclined to agree with you, Simon. And it's incredible to think that Brunson has started to put it all together so late in his career. Like the win streak, like you said, Sanford MMA, everything just has come together perfectly. And it's almost like Derek Brunson 2.0, whether it's blonde Brunts, Brunson or whatever you want to call it, right? He's doing the business in the cage. And the fact that he's got that history with Izzy could help or it could hinder. I'm not sure at this stage, Simon, because... I feel like if Cannonier wins, Izzy's already said on multiple occasions he would love to have that fight. I feel I feel like he's got a bit of a soft spot for Cannonier, and there's mutual respect. They've kind of traded some uh, barbs on, on on social media, trying to potentially get that fight in the works in recent years. And Cannonier, if he wins, I feel like would be the front runner uh, to face Izzy next. Of course, if Izzy is successful over Whitaker, now if Brunson wins, Simon. I think it could be interesting in terms of what could happen. Now, Brunson is managed by Dominance MMA, right? Sean Strickland is managed by Paradigm, the same management firm behind Izzy. So so do they want to perhaps align Izzy with another fighter that they manage to kind of keep things all in-house? Or do they obviously want to give you know, a rival agent and a fighter for a rival agency, kind of that Izzy payday. Let's see what happens. But I'm always fascinated to see how fights get made, the matchups, who who represents who. I find that stuff fascinating, just from the behind the scenes, behind the scenes kind of uh, politicking that goes on in the fight game. But need to say they're done. This is going to be an important fight for both guys. And whoever wins should be absolutely 100% be shouting for a title shot in that post-fight interview with Joe Rogan. Because if they don't, that will be a horrendous error on their part. And I, and I like to think both guys are smart enough to make sure they, they call their shot if they win. Um, so yeah, interesting fight. Again, we've got two fights here, Simon, outside of the title fight on that main card with huge implications for being in a title shot or slash interim title shot at some point this year. And that's why these pay-per-view cards 
in my opinion, are so interesting. And I feel like that's where the UFC has kind of almost shifted their model where the fight nights are going to be a bunch of fights and and maybe that main event will be juicy enough to create a narrative and, and create a compelling story for people to tune in. You never have to worry about that with these pay-per-views. Title fights, marquee fights, uh, fights that are going to lead to contendership and and create something you know new for a story heading into the next pay-per-view perhaps. So yeah, these pay-per-views always deliver the, the money in my opinion. And, and it's always worth tuning in for the pay-per-views if nothing else. Yeah, and it's just smart matchmaking because... They're, they're covering themselves as well. By having Brunson and Cannoneer on the fight card, that's an insurance policy in case something happens with the title fight. If Brunson and Cannoneer hit 185 pounds and Robert Whittaker slips in the sauna or something, or something goes wrong, one of those guys is fighting for the belt on Saturday night. So that is kind of the sort of the undercurrent sort of backstory, if you like. But it is all about win the fight, call out the winner of the main event. And after what we saw at the weekend, if one of the two guys wins inside the distance, it's a slam dunk title shot, surely, for the winner of that Brunson Cannonier fight. If either of those two guys wins inside the distance, as long as there's no controversy, that would seem like an absolute slam dunk booking. And it wouldn't be at all surprising if it is even referenced by the winner of the main event. You know, Brunson won earlier in the night or Cannonier won earlier in the night. Do you think he should be next? You know, I think the narrative writes itself as the event goes on. And for the UFC, that's exactly what you want. Added to the fact that it means that the number one contender is on the same timeline as the champion, which makes booking the fight a hell of a lot easier. So everything lines up. It's a great fight card. Those three fights at the top of the card are obviously the ones that are going to sell the pay-per-view and you know, whether you want two big heavyweights who are sort of swanging and banging, trying to knock each other out inside five minutes whether you've got two middleweights who are going to go toe-to-toe for the biggest, or the, you know, the opportunity to fight for the biggest, biggest prize of their career, or the two guys in the main event in a rematch for the biggest prize in the sport. There's a bit of something for everybody at the top of this fight card. UFC 271 should be an absolute banger. It's at the Toyota Center in Houston. So time zone-wise, I believe everything will be pretty much as is. So it'll be... About 11.30 UK start for the early prelims. 1 a.m. for the televised prelims. 3 a.m. main card start for the pay-per-view main card. Mr. Sandu will be at the social media controls for that one on the BT Sports social handle. So be sure to follow his handiwork throughout the course of the evening. But Sandu, I think that is pretty much it. My BBC Sport Report will be live for you in the morning, by the way. Just to plug a little bit of my own stuff as well. So, yeah. That's us. We're on duty this weekend. You guys just have to be on the sofa. But before you do that, here's how you can help support the show. Yeah, we are at the BritpackMMA.com. That's the website. From there, you can find us on social media. You can find my handle. You can find Simon's handle. We're available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And now both platforms allow you the opportunity to, to rate and review. So if you have 30 seconds please do that. It actually helps us in a major way uh, to get found by new potential listeners. That's how, how these algorithms work. And for those of you that have already started to, you know, slash, well, for those of you that have already started to kind of watch slash listen to us on YouTube, give us a thumbs up, give us a like, subscribe to that channel. Video is coming extremely soon. We're, we're perhaps maybe, I don't know, weeks away 
from from going on to video. We're super excited about that. I know we've been talking about it for a very long time. We're in the stages of running some tests and doing some final tweaks and bits and pieces, but this show will be a video show moving forward, and that, that's going to be our primary source of content creation, the YouTube channel. So yeah, if you're able to give us some early support on YouTube, that would also be much appreciated. Just got to wait for my cosmetic surgery scars to fully heal, and then we'll be good to go. Face for radio on this side of the pond. But all joking aside, yeah, we are really excited for what is coming down the line for the Brit Pack. We've been doing this for a, for a hot minute now, this show. We've been back for longer than I think we were when we first started. So we really are up and running with this thing and going to video is going to be uh, a completely new adventure for us both. I'm really looking forward to it. And I know, I know Sandu is as well. But before we get to all of that, we've got a whole load of fights coming your way. Starting this weekend with UFC 271, get the beers in the fridge, put the place at the sofa, get the batteries in the remote control, hide it from the kids. Enjoy those fights on Saturday night. And we'll be back to chat through every single one of the big ones on next week's show.